Welcome to episode 24 of Developer Melange, the podcast about developing software in the 21st century directly from Vienna, Austria. Developer Melange brings you regular discussions about everything software development. You can find us online on developermelange.github.io and you can follow us on Twitter via at devmelange, that's dev, M-E-L-A-N-G-E. We are very keen on learning what you think about this show or the podcast itself, so please reach out for us on Twitter or leave your comments on our website. We appreciate all of your feedback. And now, here are your hosts. My name is Christian Haas. I am a developer who embraces extreme programming. My name is Paul Rohatska. I am a software developer with the heart of a tester. Okay, we're very happy that you are again tuned in to our episode. And what happened so far? Christian and me, we have been to Socrates in Linz last October. The software crafting and testing conference, yes. Exactly. It has already, it took place for the fourth time in Linz. Yes, so it's the Austrian variant of the German phenomenon, or rather the, the uh, European and global phenomenon of Socrates. Yeah, okay. And it is, just for the people who don't know, it's uh, open space format or bar camp, as it is called sometimes, so where everybody of the participants can propose any topic regarding software development, testing, crafting, and sometimes also besides software development. Uh, and so it completely depends on who is there and how engaged people are. And every time it is a complete different, different mix of topics and really interesting all the times. And yeah, what, what was one uh, topic that you attended? The one topic that I even myself proposed was whether or not extreme programming is dead or alive. Because I wanted to know whether or not these practices are, well, whether extreme programming is being followed by people and or whether or not they just do it and don't know it, whether it's an underground movement, what have you. Because 20, it's about 20 years old now. And since I and my team, I experienced all the benefits of extreme programming, I wanted to know whether or not it's just us or anyone else as well. The realization was, well, extreme programming is perhaps not that much uh, used as the label above, though practices are still followed. So it's like the name is forgotten, yet the spirit lives on. What about you, Paul? Yeah, I attended uh, a few very interesting sessions. One was, for example, that was called uh, Overspecified Test Assertions. So, where we discussed what happens if we start writing maybe in a rather naive way a test that is asserting on the outcome of some function, for example, or some state of, of a change of a class. And if we assert on too much, on too many properties that we basically don't care about in this test case, it could be that the test that we overspy, overspecified, breaks for a reason that the test does not care about at all, because we check too many things that we don't care. So, for example, if you are checking that uh, a function returns a list of two values, you can write, I assert that um, A and B is coming out, and it might be fine, but if then a requirement is added that the sorting has to be the other way around, and suddenly it still returns two items, but maybe in a different ordering, your first test, test mate might break, although he, he completely does not care about the ordering, but you have some ordering in the test assertion, so it might break. 
And so we had uh, rather interesting um, tests where we could see what could be done, how uh, better assertion libraries could be used that led us to basically doing more uh, property-based testing style, so where you not so much define specific data that has to come out of the test, but you define what are the properties of the of the test, what are the invariants that have to be maintained in a specific uh, test case. So, and that was, for example, a very interesting talk. Mm -hmm. But there were also some talks that had nothing to do with software development. So, for example, one said, I want to be able to whistle with my fingers. Who can teach me this? <laughs> Although this was an evening activity. This was a valid session, yet it yes. was already in the evening. Yeah. <laughs> Still, uh, actually, before the whiskey tasting, <laughs> that was another one, yes. Yeah, so there is room for other things, but of course, the main focus is on software development. Yeah, and we, I think we can really um, suggest to go there for the next event that yes. will be there, I think, on October 2 and 3. Uh, second and third on next year to 20. Yes. 2020. Yeah. Okay, so then to our episodes this time. We have for the second time the pleasure to have Fabian Schmidt as our guest. Welcome, Fabian, again. Hello, thank you for having me again. Yes, Hello, last time we talked about CQRS and event sourcing, a rather technical topic where we could have at least made two or three episodes out of it because we still have a lot of questions about it but we should be happy to have you back again on the show in another time <laughs> uh, but today we want to talk about something else but before we start uh, discussing the topic uh, please introduce yourself yes okay my name is Fabian Schmid I'm a lead developer and software architect at Rubicon IT um, My team and I, we are building uh, signpath.io, which is a platform for digital code signing. And I'm very interested in, in clean software architectures, in clean code, and also in agile software development that works. And this is uh, one of the reasons why we are talking about. Okay, the headline for this evening, for this episode is Dark Scrum. What is Dark Scrum? Okay, Dark Scrum is a, is a term that I first read about on the blog of Ron Jeffries. I don't know if you know Ron Jeffries. He's one of the um, people who signed the Agile Manifesto back in, I don't know, 2000-something, 2001. Okay. And he, he has been writing about something he calls Dark Scrum for a few years now. Mm -hmm. And so I, he, is he keeping it alive by just writing about it, or is it <laughs> is it actually a thing? So. I think it's a, it's really a thing. Um, I don't know if if, you, if you've noticed, but on on these um, in the agile space, it has become um, popular to say things like agile is dead, Scrum doesn't work, and so on. So and don't do Scrum, be agile, or something like that. Yeah, something like that, right? <laughs> be really agile, right? And and uh, I think what what Ron Jeffries calls dark Scrum is one of the reasons for these um, sentiments yeah. and it's probably not the only one or that which he defines as stark scrum is probably not the only problematic way of doing scrum but it's one and i think it's quite um, spreads 
Okay, so what, what are the qualities of Dark Scrum or the features or the Dark properties? Scrum? Ron Jeffries says that Dark Scrum is a way of doing Scrum that oppresses people. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I don't know if if uh, if you if you know that uh, Kent Beck when he invented extreme programming, he said that he invented that to make the world safe for programmers. Mm -hmm. And Dark Scrum is, is exactly the opposite of that. Okay. And, so it sounds uh, like a typical anti-pattern. It, it, it's actually it's uh, the anti-implementation of Scrum. Really, <laughs> it's, it, it talks about Ron Jeffries does talks about, um, for example, daily stand-ups where the managers attempt to tell everyone what to do and to micromanage about uh, plannings where where people demand or where management demands that the development team needs to put more into the sprint of, of sprint reviews where the management again uh, criticizes and, 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 and uh, has the team that they aren't doing their work well enough and so on. And this of course, this of course is not at all what Scrum is about, but I think I think it happens much more often than one, one, one should. Um, I think that the basic problem, as I understood it from this article, is that he says it's managers that are trying to superimpose Scrum on their teams, where some, some ceremonies and artifacts of Scrum are tries to be performed, but they still use their well-known and well-established management and enforcing techniques to the people contradicting the self-organization that we typically assign to an agile team. I think, I think the, the main problem is that Scrum is often introduced in an organization, an enterprise maybe, or maybe even on a team. And the people who are introducing it, or the people who are implementing it, don't really know what, what the values and the, the principles behind Scrum are. They just know the techniques. They just know that you should meet in a daily stand-up every day and that you should meet every two weeks for a sprint planning and, and at the end of the sprint meet for a sprint review. But they don't know why you should do that. This sounds you, like cargo code. It's, 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 it's some kind of cargo code, mm -hmm. agile software development. Yeah, and people and meet in the morning, stand up and report still to their manager yes, what they exactly. were doing yesterday exactly. and what you plan to do today. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think this is... I think this is really the, the reason why many many people say, "Oh, we tried Agile and it didn't work. We tried Scrum and it didn't work, and so on." But did they really try Scrum? Did they really try Agile, or did they just try sprints and stand-up meetings and and sprint reviews? Yeah. Okay. yeah that, that you that you point to to the values is also also relates to my experience with extreme programming. So yes, for for the last years, so for the past five years, um, I was in a team who which pretty much established all the practices of extreme programming. Mm -hmm. And to verify that, I now over the summer, over the last summer, I read several books of the extreme programming series to verify whether or not we are actually doing following extreme programming. Mm -hmm. So now I can say, yes, we do. Yet, what I also realized is that we were mainly following the practices. Mm -hmm. And I would say just by accident, it worked. Uh, because reading the, the books, it's also about the values. 
the mm-hmm. agile values, the mm-hmm. like communication, being being bold, and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I realized we we, uh, we in our team never really formalized this. We never really said, okay, this is our value, and by honoring this value, we are doing these practices. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, yeah, the, the values are the key. Exactly. I think you should start with the values, mm. and and then try to form the process around these values. And usually, it's done the other way around. You know, some some CTO or maybe CEO of a company gets to know Agile at some I don't know executive conference or, or something like that, and it's the thing now. You need to be Agile, Agile leadership, Agile. Agile uh, organization, Agile enterprise, Agile project management, and so on. And so everyone should be doing Agile, and they impose it on their teams. And I mean, okay, they uh, maybe it's okay that, that, that the management uh, says that the company should, should become Agile right now, but they are missing the point in transporting the values, the reasons why we should be Agile. I think that's even the danger, the more dangerous way if management comes and just puts it on top of the teams. Yeah. I think it could be better working if a team decides by itself to make agile, even if it has not so much support from management, just to prove that it's really valuable and has some work, uh, has some benefits. Probably, but I don't really know. Maybe maybe it's okay if management decides. Uh, that that agile principles is something that should be introduced in in an organization. I don't but know. It's, it's not but, enough. But, so people have to be trained and have but to yes, be. Yes, and, and people have to be, of course, explained and, and convinced yeah. of why this is a good thing exactly. and what's what's behind that, and not just uh, everyone has daily stand-ups now. But it's it's about the values, and I think the it's, it's interesting actually because um, it's the same about extreme programming as you said. You really have to 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 focus on. Um, actually, I think at the Agile Tour Vienna 2017 conference, I think there was a really great keynote by two guys. I I don't know their names. Uh, I'm sorry, but uh, they they talked about the Agile Manifesto, and they they said that on such an on an Agile conference, at an Agile conference, actually, they would expect that most people know the, the values and the, the principles of the Agile manifesto. But really, nobody does. Nobody does know what Agile is all about, really. And there are, there are um, a number of, of, of values that's, uh, you know, like individuals and interactions, working software, and uh, customer collaboration and responding to change over a few other things, which are also important, but not as important as these four things. And actually, everyone, everyone claiming to do Agile or wanting to do Agile should put these four values in, 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 the, in, the, fo- in the focus. It's somehow like, like pinning the, the Agile uh, manifesto on the wall next to the solid principles. Yeah, right. And then you look into the code and you realize, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that's what it's all about. And what, what I really find interesting as well is, I don't know if you have heard that before, that you need to do Scrum to do the same work faster than before. 
and this of course doesn't work at all. And this is not the point of Agile and not the point of Scrum at all, to do the same work as before, just faster. This is, this is not some magic magic pill which makes everybody code twice as fast as before or something like that. I mean, I mean this sounds a little bit like, like we're bashing on Scrum rather. I guess we three now, uh, we believe that Scrum does work done when it's uh, done by intent, I would say. I, I think that Scrum is a, a good framework mm. if it's done by people who know what the values are about mm. and who try to implement those values. And then add on the, the practices because yes. when I was now getting more into the extreme programming realization mm -hmm. and also um, read, all up, read up on, on it, I, for instance, came across it, an, an awesome tweet which stated that doing Scrum without extreme programming is like having a membership uh, of a gym without going there. Yeah. Mm. You still pay money, yet you don't get any benefits of that. Yeah. Yeah. Scrum is, of course, a framework which does not tell you at all um, how to, to do the, the details of something. Right? And, and I also I was a great fan of, of extreme programming. Mm. I really like um, test-driven development, continuous integration, and so on. All these, these practices, which have become, some of them have become, I don't know, uh, commonplace, right? Continuous integration, for example, everybody does continuous integration, even if they don't know that this is uh, from extreme programming, really. Right. Well, perhaps not, at least extreme programming collected these practices. That this these practices might not might not have been just from extreme programming. Yeah. So, and this is also what I realized at Socrates, for instance, when I was there and talking with the other people. Mm -hmm. uh, others said, well, these practices we are already doing. Okay, I didn't know that it's called extreme programming, it was called extreme programming. And I think yeah. that's always a good sign if people forget about the original name or the original origin of, of some technique. It, probably means that, but they are still doing, if we if to learn about, that probably means, okay, it's so widespread, it's so common sense to our industry or to big parts of our industry, and that I think is a good thing. So we don't have to be super aware of now, we're doing extreme programming, but it's just common sense to make testing and CI, CD, whatever. But on the other hand, I think it's, it's very important that, once again, that you know or that you make a list of the reasons why you're doing these things. And this is where the values come in again. Mm -hmm. I've, not, I've noted down the values from, of extreme programming, actually. It's simplicity, communication, feedback, respect and courage. And, and um, actually all the, all the practices are implemented in order to, to fulfill those values. Right? And um, if you just do the... If you just, just do the practices without knowing the why, then you might benefit from it. Or maybe not, maybe you're just implementing the current cult. This is the, the dark scrum thing again. Although I, be, I believe the dark scrum, I, I would even put it one step beyond. Because you, Paul, said, yes, it's great that people are already doing these practices. And I believe the missing link is in these areas, in like various big companies. I, will, I now... Uh, putting all the big companies on, on the spot now, it could also possibly be on small companies. Companies that don't do any Agile and now want to do it and now start off with this Scrum and now this process and everything. And they might even want to do all the benefits of Agile, yet they are missing the core information like the practices of extreme programming. And in this in this session that I had, I also had some with open eyes and taking notes going on, going on 
on, on, on these extreme programming practices and what to do, and then also about the book recommendations, what to read. So the, there is the potential that people, yes, they want to do Agile, and with Scrum they, they only hear half of the whole picture. Mm -hmm. And Absolutely. yet they don't know what the remaining yeah. remainder is. And even if it's an old name that others that are already doing it, it at least gives the people that are that want to do it uh, a reference to to look up information. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's also what you see if you go to agile conferences. Even if they started off as rather software developer oriented or technical conferences, I have the feeling over the years, after the last years, they they gradually shifted away from the technical parts more towards the management, people, stuff. That is also important, but then people are coming in the situation that they completely forget about or don't hear, not in, don't, do not hear enough of these uh, technical practices. And I think that's where then software crafting and stuff came in, where the technicians showed up again and said, okay, but it still is about software development. At the end, we have to develop and we have to, to make real software at the end. Actually, I think there are lots of, of um, Scrum um, implementers who, who really um, use a lot of extreme programming practices. Yeah. We do at least on the team. Mm -hmm. And I guess, I, I don't know, what, what, it's like, what, what is it like on the projects you are on? How is, how is it with us? Yeah, do you use Scrum? Do you use other... We, we have... A, we have um, okay, wait. In my previous company, <laughs> I have now think of November. In my previous company, we, we did... We introduced uh, Scrum as well. And I would say soon after, I came in touch with, with the software crafting, I would say, movement now. And which opened up, up my eyes in, with regards to um, uh, realizing, okay, I don't know everything and I need to learn more. And based on that, in combination with coding dojos and code retreats, I realized, okay, there are more practices to do. So I latched onto these practices and then I introduced them back into our own team and added them there, those that were missing. So for instance, continuous integration, we already had like a common practice to have. So pair programming or test-driven development is something that I pushed really hard. And so all of this then snowballed, I would say adding one practice to the other and combining them even more. So, and this then made it work for us. Mm -hmm. So we, we already started with the, the company's backing of, yes, we want to do Agile, we are having Scrum now, we're doing Scrum now, and go. And I then helped fill in the gaps. Yeah. So uh, as we are a typical project-oriented company, there is a variety of, or a spread of ways how to uh, how the technical part is done and really lifts. So there is, of course, a, a common sense about several things, but if you take a deeper look into several teams, each team has a, its own approach and its own focus on stuff, of course, because the teams are often very embedded in the customer side with all the processes there and all the habits there. Yeah. But we still, of course, have to try to get the word around and improve all our, our skills. Yeah. So actually, this is a good thing, isn't it? Because, um, for example, the, I'm currently working on signpost.io and we are using Scrum as, as uh, our agile software development process. But we have a lot of XP pro, uh, 
practices embedded in, in our process. Right? Uh, for example, uh, collective ownership, collective code ownership, and basically not only code ownership, but ownership of everything, mm -hmm. <laughs> collective ownership. And um, in the last, or I don't know, in one of, of, of my previous projects, we actually decided not to do collective ownership because the project was really a, a collection of um, very distinct um, and, and um, closed components. As, yes, closed components or, or maybe very distinct components and you just had to implement one of the components, implement each of them and it had, it had nothing to do with the other ones. Mm -hmm. okay? Nothing in common and nothing... Um, but there would, will be some interfaces between the components. Uh, there was some common infrastructure to them, okay. but this, these were actually they were connectors, like um, connecting one system with another system. Okay. And you, you had, we had just uh, 20 or something of these uh, connectors, okay. mm -hmm. and we just implemented them one time and then they were done and and it would have made no sense to implement collective code ownership there mm -hmm. it would just have added uh, added cost and would have, would have brought no no benefit and therefore we decided not to implement this practice and therefore i said i think it's a good thing that that different um, teams implement different practices in different projects because there might be very different requirements and very different um, situations. So I guess this is, for me this sounds like this this specific project had the components being the systems on their own so that you would, yes. would then split up okay this one person is its its own team so to speak that handles this component and within which they then have their collective ownership of one person. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because, like, like always, saying some uh, same thing. This is the good practice to do this, mm -hmm. and then there are these exceptions. You have to pre preface these exceptions. Why are they? Why are these different? Because those that are not doing the practices at all, then think, okay, yeah, you have to don't have to do this anyway. Okay, yeah. So it's again the uh, precedence of mastery, and then realize, yes, okay, exactly. you're you're, um, yeah. you're avoiding this rule because. Yeah. Yeah, yes, while, while at the beginning it can be good to have a, a, um, a process or a practice imposed on you, even if you don't really have a good feeling about why it is, because it just works typically. And then as you gradually improve and come to special situations, as you described it, it's good to be able to decide against it because of, and you have the reasons why. This is, this is also, I think, often a, a reason when people say, okay, extreme programming didn't work for me or Scrum didn't work for my team. Um, so I don't think it does work at all. It's often the case that those people didn't really implement extreme programming or didn't really implement Scrum. They just they, they took the process, stripped away everything they didn't like or didn't know why it should be done, did some sub-thing, modified version, it didn't work and they felt that it's all, it's all nonsense. I think one typical problem is if teams do not get the power and the, and the possibility to re really improve on the things that they see that could be improved. 
So if there are retrospectives and you know, everybody's, everybody's just mourning how bad it is and then going out and continuing as it is and not thinking about really what could be done and what actions could be actually to, taken to have it improved for the next sprint and to reflect on this uh, measures that had been done if they really had the benefit that they wished it had. I think that's one of the typical problems. Yeah. So I think, I think this is actually this is one of the essences of Scrum. Right? One of the basic commands that uh, Scrum gives is inspect and adapt. Yes. Right? There's only one reason why there's a retrospective every sprint. So you can inspect, check out how it's working, and, and change it if it doesn't work, improve it. And uh, this is also, I, I think this is... If you just follow this basic directive, then I think you will you will arrive at something that works. So, what, what, so assuming now, okay, now we now we have, I guess, clarified now where where is dark scrum or the the bad area is. What could a person in such a situation do? Read the Ron Jeffries articles, or <laughs> yeah. so what are what are possibilities? <laughs> well, okay, that's one thing. Uh, I think Martin Fowler said you have to change your organization. Or change your organization. Change what? Change your organization or change your organization. Okay, okay. And, uh, <laughs> um, that's, one, that's one. Okay, what possibilities think, do you have for the first kind of change? <laughs> I think, I think the, the, the main thing is that you can try to, um, to explain to people that there are values underlying Scrum, for example. Okay, you can, you can, Try to tell you if if you are management, of course, then you should you should um, spread the spread the world the words about what, uh, what 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 the values of agile software development really are. You can you can add aspects of extreme programming to your Scrum process, for example, and so on. If you are not the manager, but if you are a simple team member and and feel oppressed by by management, um, it's probably harder but also possible to, to get management to to understand why we are doing all of this stuff and then Ron Jeffries he says you can just you can just um, implement working software every two weeks and if you do that for a few times then maybe management will see that something great is happening and will allow you to, 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 to follow this process further. Uh, so establish trust. It come, yeah. comes back to establishing trust. Yeah. But start, start with that uh, principle of building working software, which is really the, one of the basic things in Scrum. Mm. You should, you should uh, have, after every sprint, you should have an instance of working software. And, and if you do that, you usually have more than, than classical projects have for a year or something like that. Mm. And uh, this is something that can impress people that, that this is really broken. Mm -hmm. And I think what also helps on a, on a more micro level is to have to be transparent about most of the things. So mm -hmm. be transparent about the progress of the software, of course, is the final goal of all the things. Mm -hmm. But also in between, be transparent about the, the things that you did, the things that improved, the things that did not go well. So be transparent about everything that happened, about everything the team tried out, mm -hmm. and to see that it's really working, and and uh, to 
to um, to even give more energy to the things that are really working well and think about how to get rid of the things that are not so working well. Mm. And I think to have something uh, really visible, ideally physically on some on some wall is the best thing to get people mm -hmm. involved. Mm -hmm. Just passing by some graph that is going up all the time or going down, whatever it is, might have some impact on anybody that just passes by. Mm -hmm. That's true. The, the book Extreme Programming Applied, for instance, I, I hope it was applied, yes, uh, gives a recommendation on which practices to introduce at the beginning and then continue with the six other practices. So first of pair programming, test-driven development, uh, the two core ones, refactoring. Then, uh, and the other two escaped my mind now. So <laughs> if you do these, then, then you're already on a, on, a, on a good path. I think um, for the other two, you have to read the book. <laughs> I, think, I think one of the important things is you, you can start the thing about transparency. I think this is also a principle in, in Lean and Kanban. Right? Start where you are, visualize mm -hmm. some, create some form of visualization where you are and where you want to go to, and then work towards that goal. Always be transparent about where you are on that journey. And um, this is one of the key aspects of, 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 of improvement. And I think one important thing is, even in dark Scrum, if you feel oppressed by a management imposing Scrum on you, they are probably not doing this because they want to be even people. They are probably doing this because they want to have some positive impact. And so if you can show them a way how this can really work, they will probably listen and, and, and um, allow you to, to go along that route. Okay, do, you, do you mean the, this, this supposed management or this supposed whoever introduces a Scrum does it only half knowingly? So they, 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 they only came home from, from a conference, heard, yeah. yes, this is good, yeah. and start now and without any further I think, information. I think they, have, they don't have enough knowledge, mm -hmm. but they don't do it because of bad intentions. Mm. So you have to work on spreading the knowledge. So, you, so do you need your Agile evangelist in your company? Know or do you need a certified Scrum Master? Or what do you need? <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that um, after you are certified Scrum something, you can when you have three years of experience or something, something like that, become a certified Scrum professional. And did you know that there are about, I don't know, half a million certified Scrum masters in the world, but only about 4,000 certified Scrum <laughs> professionals? <laughs> Which is really interesting because actually when I, want to, when, when I implement such a process, I want to have a certified Scrum professional who has experience with that stuff, right? And not a two-day training. <laughs> so, so maybe I can, maybe if, if I want to, to implement such a process and I don't know it myself, maybe I can go find somebody who really has experience with that and can help me to do that. Yeah. Okay, Fabian, so thank you for bringing up this interesting topic. I guess every one of us had his, um, his relations to some past experiences where we maybe have experienced some parts or aspects of, of dark scrum but hopefully not all of this is, is described in Ron Jeffrey's article and also we get I hope we gave you listeners some nice pointers where to go to yes. what to look at and what to do absolutely absolutely okay so thank you
Fabian, I, I would like to ask you another thing. You mentioned SignPath.io and I, I read this name on an unexpected part of my screen uh, recently because I installed Git extensions for uh, using it for uh, several years. And for some versions now, the publisher is SignPath.io. Yeah. Why is that? Yeah, SignPath.io is uh, helping open source projects getting their software signed because we think it's really important that uh, um, people sign their their code and open source um, teams often don't have a budget to get code signing certificates and so we provide them with the certificate and also the process to integrate it into their build um, to integrate sign path into their, their build systems and so on and git extensions is one of them yes mm -hmm. very cool and there was one annoying uh, bug in Git extensions that really, that really uh, annoyed me for a, a very long time. And then I looked it up and I saw a pull request by you actually <laughs> solving the problem. And it was, I'm still very grateful for it. Yeah, as you can see, we are also using Git extensions. And uh, this is actually why we ask them first whether they want a, a code signing certificate from SignPath. And yeah, that's the bug. Um, bugged me a lot too, and and so I just provided a pull request. Yeah, it's a, it's about uh, that the git follow uh, attribute is yeah git extensions working. Git extensions broke some um, feature where when you view the history of a file and you moved or renamed the file in the course of its uh, um, history, then it. History, the history wouldn't just work any, mm. anymore. And so it stopped at the time when you introduced a new name. Exactly, yeah. and, and this was just a small bug, and I just provided a small fix. Yeah. It was a, but really a, a big problem because I recently uh, wanted to to rearrange all the files and the file structure of my project. And before that, it, I was totally reluctant to do that because I, when I tried it out, I saw Git extensions doesn't show me the history anymore, and so I didn't do it. But now I'm, you know, I can do it. So thank you for the contribution. Yeah, actually, actually, I've been using Git extensions for years now, and so I think it wasn't a great thing to fix that bug, and it really helped a lot. Yeah, yeah I'm very glad source. that I accepted my pull request. Yeah. <laughs> very cool. Okay. So, um, yes, thank you, and I guess this was another episode of Developer Melange.